app twos episode 121 image character gap i hope this podcast finds you well today i want to share with you a story you may remember a scandal involving volkswagen back in 2015 that became known as dieselgate now as an aside i have no idea why every single scandal has to end in the name gate now but it does anyways i digress as a stupid a name as it is the story teaches us something about leadership 2015 it was revealed that volkswagen had installed software in their diesel vehicles that cheated the emissions test and misled regulators and consumers about the true level of pollutants being emitted by their cars now between us i know the politics of green energy is controversial it's cringy and we would probably say who cares and that's probably what volkswagen said too however there was a standard and they misled people and they paid for it the scandal began to unravel when researchers and environmental organizations noticed discrepancies between volkswagen's claims of emission levels and the actual emissions measured during real world driving conditions that's bad enough but here's where it gets really interesting investigators revealed that the company had intentionally programmed their vehicles to detect when they were undergoing emissions tests and they manipulated their performance to meet the required standards outside of the testing environment the vehicles emitted pollutants at a level level higher than was legally allowed the the scandal had severe consequences for volkswagen this is crazy as I start diving into it. The company faced just waves of legal actions, uh, including class action lawsuits. There was fines from regulators from around the world. There was damage to the reputation of the, of the company, of course. Uh, apparently, consumer trust in the brand started plummeting. Sales declined. The company's stock took uh, a substantial hit. It is estimated that they lost $33 billion. That was the cost associated with this scandal. Of course, the CEO at the time has to resign. Numerous executives uh, have to resign. I mean, it, it, it was a mess. What happened here? There was a gap between the image that Volkswagen was portraying and the reality of what the car was. You see, they, they, they had this image that they were going to be, quote, a green company or whatever the case may be. They, they, they put up a front as to what the car could really do. But the reality was that the car was something else. And here's why I tell you this story, because there is a gap between your character and your image. There's a gap between my character and my image. I I heard this expression in a leadership seminar a while back, and man, it, it just rocked me when I heard that because it's so true. There is a gap between our character and our image. Now, what do I mean by that? Our image is how we are portraying ourselves to other people. It's what we tell other people about ourselves. It's the show that we put on. It's the image that we want other people to see and think about us. But our character is who we really are when no one else is looking. And here's where this gets scary. For every single one of us, there is a gap between our character and our image. We we portray ourselves better than we really are. And I'm not saying we're trying to deceive people. I'm not saying that that we're wrong necessarily for doing this. It's just a reality. Every single one of us has a gap. And we're putting putting this forth at some level to everyone. Now, how this plays out and and the width of the gap, you know, there's a lot of variables there. You know, you might smile at someone face to face and then you gossip about them behind their back. 
You might preach holiness on Sunday and look at porn on Monday, right? You might lead someone in discipleship on Wednesday and then cheat on your taxes on April 15th. So, so just like Volkswagen, when we're plugged in at the church, when we're plugged in on stage, everything looks good. But when we're actually running down the highway of life, we are something else altogether. So the question is not, is there a gap in your life? There's, there's a gap in every single one of our lives. None of us have achieved the level of perfection. None of us are Jesus. We are all in a process of sanctification. Therefore, there is a gap. We all put on a little bit of a front. The question is this, how wide is the gap? How wide is the gap between what I show other people and who I actually am? And an equally important question is this, how am I managing this gap? What am I doing to try to close the gap? This is a question we cannot avoid answering in our life because everything rises and falls on leadership. And we are called to lead the people in this church. We're called to lead ourselves. We're called to lead our families. And if we're not leading ourselves first, if we're not managing the gap in our life, buddy, you're going to pay, I'm going to pay, our families are going to pay, the ministry is going to pay, the reputation of Christ is going to pay, just like Volkswagen paid, so too we're going to pay, but the cost is going to be a lot more. Now, last week we asked a question in relation to church ministry, what are we doing here? And we kind of talked about how the Big C Church is a little bit off-kelter right now. We talked about how there are three mandates in the church, nurturing the sheep, reaching the lost, ministering to the compassion needs. We said that these mandates need to be in balance. Right now, the bar has really shifted in the West to reaching the lost at the expense of nurturing the sheep. So we have churches that are growing very, very, very fast. But the spiritual maturity of the shepherds and the sheep are not growing as fast. And as a result, we have very large churches with spiritual immaturity and is creating moral failures. You know, in short, the gap of the image that these churches and leaders are portraying is, is exponentially wider than, than from where their character is. And so we have to be careful of this. We have to, we have to realize that this could happen to any of us. We also have to realize that church has changed. I think it's easier for leaders now to have moral failures than maybe it was 20, 30 years ago. I know that might sound like a weird thing to say, but from my seat where I'm at watching kind of those who went before me, you know, watching as I grew up, watching now, people are different, the culture is different, and social media is different. And what that means is that the church has changed. It used to be that churches and people in church were adverse to the idea of, of change. They, they, they were very tradition-driven. You know, this is how we've always done it. We like that. And now, I think with, with the advent of social media, we can see what a church over there is doing, and we like what we see over there. And so we start saying, well, can we implement it here? And what this has done is this has given pastors more latitude to operate a church within the vision that they have. And this means that churches can grow faster. I mean, we have some massive churches. And I know the stats are telling us that um, church attendance is in decline. But the facts are the people who are going to church are going to bigger churches. So you might have less churches, but the ones we do have seem like they're getting bigger. 
Now, they say the best form of government is a benevolent dictator. And that's 100% true. Man, if you have a benevolent dictator, that is the best form of government. But the problem is that when given absolute power, dictators struggle to stay benevolent or moral. And right now what's happening in a lot of churches is basically the pastors are starting to be benevolent dictators. And I think in the beginning their motives are pure, but over time greed of success starts to choke out the fruit and their gap between their image and the character starts to grow. The question is this, what are we to do? As church leaders, how do we manage this gap so we don't have a Volkswagen scandal, if you will, inside the church? Biblically, what does it mean to, to manage the gap? Well, John 15, as most of you know, probably know, is a, is a life verse for me. This is a passage the Lord brings me back to all the time. Verse 1 of John 15 through verse 11 says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking to his future church leaders, and he's telling them to manage the gap. And Jesus has a lot to say to them in this passage. I mean, just summarizing it very quickly, he's saying, look, I am the true vine. You know, there's going to be a lot of false teaching. There's going to be a lot of false ideology trying to sneak into your life. There's a lot of false teaching, a lot of false ideology that's going to try to sneak into your ministry, and it will cut you off from the source of spiritual nourishment that you need. So Christ is coming to his disciples saying, look, I am the true source of nourishment and there is no other source. And the same thing is true today. Look, there's nothing else that's going to sustain us in ministry other than Christ himself. There's nothing else that's going to sustain us in life other than Christ himself. He is a true vine and we are the branches. And what he then says should be shocking to us. He's, He's saying, look, there is going to be some cutting that happens in your life one way or the other. There's two options for a branch. The branch is either fruitful or it's unfruitful. If the branch is unfruitful, then it's going to get cut off. It's going to wither and die and be burned in the fire. If it is fruitful, it's going to be pruned, cut. It's going to be pruned constantly so that it can bear more fruit. So what Jesus is basically saying is said, look, you are going to get cut one way or the other. We're getting cut for Christ so that we can be more fruitful we're going to get cut out of Christ so that we're not sucking life from the other branches, if you will. And that's scary. 
Because we could be serving in ministry and still be on a path towards hell. Or we can go into a process of allowing God to prune us. But here's the thing about being cut is it hurts either way. It hurts either way. It's obvious that we should desire for God to prune our hearts. I mean, you, you know that, I know that. We, we, need to, we need to desire for God to, to reveal the gap in our life, the gap between our image and our character, and, and to ask him to start trimming off the things that are making the gap wider. He needs to start cleaning up our character. He needs to start taking that fake facade that's a part of our image, and it needs to be cut off. And our hearts need to be made right before him. And I'm sure every single one of us have experienced seasons of pruning. And we all know that it is very, very painful. I've experienced it. You have experienced it. It is not pleasant, but it is necessary. And here's the question I think that we need to ask. This is a question that scares me a little bit. When was the last time God pruned something in my life? Just let that sink in for a second. When was the last time the great physician took the scalpel to your heart? When was the last time he took the knife to your character? When was the last time he removed some veneer from your life? Because if he's not pruning me, then I might be in danger of being removed. So we need to welcome pruning in our life. We need to seek it. How does pruning happen? How do we seek it? Well, Jesus tells us within this passage how it's going to happen. And these are things we need to embrace. Quickly, let me show these to you. The first thing he says, look, we need to embrace the cleansing power of the word. We have to acknowledge something like this world is a dirty place. It's just dirty. And we have to understand that going through life, there's going to be some dirt that starts to stick to us. We can't avoid that. That's just part of life. You know, I, I know this from my life. I listen to the wrong stuff, watch the wrong things, hang out with the wrong people. My spiritual sensitivities start to deteriorate. Why? Because I can't wrestle with pigs and not get dirty. And living in this world means that sometimes the pigs are going to rub up against you. You cannot avoid it. This is why we have to have the word in our life on a constant basis. And I, I want to say a daily basis. Like, I think we should all strive, particularly for us as church leaders, to be in the Word every single day. I know Austin needs the Word every single day because I need the bread of life and I need the cleansing power of the Word because that, let me tell you, the veneer starts to grow quickly in my life when the Word isn't there. The dirt starts to show up. It starts to get stinky around here. And Jesus said that his disciples were clean because of the words that he spoke to them and the Word that was in their life. So you, it, it's very difficult for us to have sin in our life and digest the word at the same time. Why? Because we start to feel convicted. And, and we see that there, there's something amiss in our own character compared to the word when we're jumping in it. I mean, just try reading your Bible when you're angry at someone. It's very difficult to do. Why? Because you know that there's a discrepancy between what you're reading on the paper and what's going on inside of your heart. So the, the word cleanses us and the word prunes us, and we need that there. The second thing Jesus told him, he said, look, we need abiding in the refinement of his presence. You know, Jesus told his disciples to abide in him. They need to remain attached to the vine. So not only do we need the word in our life, but we also have to carve out a prioritized time to fellowship with the Lord in prayer. It's my opinion that Bible reading and prayer have to go hand in hand because the word keeps me grounded in the truth, but prayer keeps me from being legalistic. Like the word tells me what is true, but prayer reminds me of who the author of that truth is. 
And so I need both those things in my life. I need to abide in the Lord. I need to allow him to speak into my heart. And when I get close to the Lord, the, the gap between my character and my image is illuminated, and I see where God needs to do some work in my own life. The third thing we see in this passage, you know, to, to close the gap, we have to lean into the strength of humility. I mean, Jesus is very, very clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think we have to acknowledge as ministers that we have a tendency to read our own press. I mean, it, it'd be hard not to do, you know, when we're constantly asked advice, when we're always having to put input into people's situations in life, it's very easy for us to think we have it all figured out. But Jesus is very clear. You don't do anything unless you're attached to me. And the moment we start feeling pride sneak in is the moment that the gap is going to start to grow. And we have to take a hard look in the mirror in those moments and remind ourselves that we have not produced anything. We're not a product of our excellence but we are simply branches producing because of the source, which is Christ. And the fourth way we close the gap is to keep keep the commandments in love. Jesus told his disciples to remain in his love and to obey his commandments. You know, we cannot make concessions in our moral life. A gap is a concession of the moral integrity that the Lord has called us to. We have to look and ask the hard questions. Where am I making concessions in my life? And, and, and how am I going to allow the Lord to start to, to correct that so I can walk in obedience of love to him? Those four things will make a huge difference in our life. And I want to wrap it up with just this thought. The lie of the gap is that when we allow the gap to start to sneak in, that we're going to have more fun and more joy. In fact, a lot of people believe the wider the gap is, the more fun and more joy they're going to have. That's where the enemy starts to lie to us. However, Jesus said this. He said, I've spoke these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, I think we can have full joy in our personal lives, our devotional lives, our family lives, and our spiritual lives, and in our ministry life. But our joy is only going to be complete when we manage the gap properly. Because if the gap gets too wide, we're going to fall into the abyss and it's not going to be pretty. But when Christ closes the gap, That's when we experience complete joy. God bless.